Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 89 of Weighing In. I'm Alex Steen with Track Wrestling, joined once again by my co-host, David Miracatani. David has thrown me the reins this week, and I'll do my best to keep us on track. David, how you doing out there? I'm good, Alex. How's life in Tulsa? Hot as always. <laughs> you guys had a... Oklahoma didn't do bad up at Fargo so far. They had a couple All-Americans, right? They had a cadet national champion. Yeah, a couple in the finals today didn't do quite as well as they hoped for, but uh, good performance overall by Team Oklahoma. Got a lot of good coaches working hard there, as they have across the nation. Uh, not as good as Illinois, but as we talked about last week, numbers and <laughs> tough kids, right? Yeah, no, I know I got it done again on the junior side. I know we're going to dig into that a little bit. So, yep, we'll, um, where, where do you want to start off today, Alex? Well, we'll get to Fargo, like you said, but let's start with Penn Wrestling. They received a $1 million gift from Philadelphia 76ers owner and former Penn wrestler Josh Harris this week. Um, half a million dollars will go towards endowing an assistant coach position, and the other half a million will be applied to team travel, recruiting, nutrition, equipment, and salaries. Uh, David, you obviously you are, have coached at, at the college level. How nice would it have been to have that kind of money at your disposal? <laughs> it would have been awesome. And, you know, actually, I'm so old. Roger Reyna recruited me to Penn coming out of high school. I actually took a, a trip up there to Philadelphia. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting campus because most campuses are, you know, on college towns. And it's right in the middle of downtown Philly, so it's pretty unique. But, yeah, a million dollars, even a pen, is going to go a long way. And I think it's awesome that uh, they got the money and then, you know, it came from, you know, obviously a wrestling guy, but from basketball. So I think that's really good because the crossover publicity, uh, which guys like you and Andy have told me about, you know, the storyline, that sort of thing, I think it'll get even more mileage in the Main Street public than it would otherwise. And I think that's got to be good for wrestling as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the NBA is a massive entity in the U.S. And I mean, obviously, wrestling has a complicated relationship with basketball because we go, you know, we kind of compete for gym space and, you know, most people can't do both. And but I think it's good to see that a guy who learned some lessons for wrestling and has referenced those lessons is willing to give back to the sport while he's made his money elsewhere and is supporting basketball as well. I think that's healthy. That's a good thing, and I love to see the endowment. I mean, the head coaching position's already endowed. That's great. Now they have an assistant long-term. Penn's really building for the future, as you would expect for an Ivy League school. Yeah, for sure, and we've talked about this numerous times off the air on our travels together that a lot of times the people that love wrestling the most were, were not the best wrestlers, and the people that give back the most to wrestling more often than not were not you know, national or world champions. And so but the life lessons that these men and women learned from the sport of wrestling, from the grind, from losing, from winning, from being part of a team, from sacrifice, they apply those lessons and become successful in business. And then they go back and reward the sport of wrestling, either overall, like to a USA wrestling kind of donation or to a specific university. And all of these things are just tremendously positive for our sport. Absolutely. Um, part of the gift that a lot of people are making, not in this case, but to a lot of different facilities and a lot of different programs are going to regional training centers now. So now a lot of college programs have to do 
two different fundraising efforts. They have to raise money for their own program and for their RTC. One RTC that is obviously doing a good job of raising that money is the Illinois RTC. It announced this week that IMAR is staying at Illinois. I think that surprised a lot of people staying there to continue training at the Illinois RTC. David, was that a surprise for you? Honestly, no, but you know, I'm, I'm friends with Mike Poeta. I think Mike and Isaiah have a really good relationship. And I also think that these guys more and more where their home base is, is honestly mattering less and less. I mean, you and I both have some friends that are pretty high up in various RTCs. And I talk to a lot of these guys on a weekly basis. And more often than not, they're either sending their guys somewhere or they're hosting other guys coming, you know, in. So they're getting a lot of cross training. So having to pick up your life and start all over is not as required as it used to be. And I think Imar got a job as a volunteer coach on the Illinois staff, which that's a fundraisable position. So he can, he can earn a salary there as well as being sponsored by the RTC. So he's in a place where he's comfortable and, Honestly, he wasn't, you know, he was a really big 157 pounder. He wasn't the biggest 165 pounder. I think the one hour weigh in rules for international wrestling and it being at 163 is a pretty good fit for him. How are the people that you're talking to reacting to this? I think a lot of people assumed he was going to follow Perry to Iowa at some point. Um, that was definitely the assumption when Perry went to the Hawkeye Wrestling Club last summer. Obviously, a lot can change in a year, and I think, you know, your point about going different places, training different places, that's really well taken. I mean, that's always been the case for the senior-level guys that you don't have to go, you know, you don't have to stay in the room that's, you know, that's your home. You can travel. You can do whatever you need, and we're seeing more and more RTCs up their game with the fundraising effort, and you made a good point about the volunteer assistant. You know, that's really what you – need to look out for number one is can you make enough money to live can you do the things you want to do and then you can figure out the training part i mean i no, you know nothing bad about the illinois rtc i'm not saying that at all but it's you know he might go to the hawkeye wrestling club and train there a little bit he might go over to you know pennsylvania and hit those several rtcs out that way who you know wherever he needs to go a lincoln obviously to train with burrows you know wherever he needs to go still accessible to him even at the Illinois RTC, he's right there in the middle of it all. Not a big deal. So I think you're spot on with that. Um, I think yeah. you see this more and more. Yeah. And I got a chance to be at the Olympic training center or the OTC about a week and a half ago. And I got a chance to interview Jaden Cox. Um, that interview's up on track right now. It's about seven or eight minutes. And it's really a good one, not because of me, but he was really great. But he talked about how, he can learn from everybody and he can learn from the young guys. He talked about like literally learning technique. I saw him with Kurt McHenry and guys like that. But he also talked about how like, Hey, the world training camp is now at the OTC. So he can get a Kyvin Gadsden and a Snyder and those guys. And the other thing is like the OTC is the ultimate training center. So if Kevin Jackson feels like he needs to go to Columbus and train with Snyder or go to, Ames and go train with Kyvin or whatever the case may be, these guys are going to make it happen. And, you know, in my business life, you know, we, we do money for a living. And I always joke, like whenever anybody says it's not about the money, it's always about the money. And 
the finances that have come into our sport through like the art martories of the world, the art any bars of the world and these other benefactors, it's allowing these guys to not have to work part-time jobs to, I mean, I remember a long time ago, like Home Depot and Dick's Sporting Goods were sponsoring these guys by giving them part-time jobs. Now these guys just train the OTC. They just train twice a day. They got their meals for them. I mean, they got video. I mean, it's structured, and it, they have every opportunity in the world to be successful. I think you hit on a good point there at the end. The structure is so key to this, and I think that's why we see a lot of guys – we used to see a lot of guys succeed – just after college, and that was that was their peak years, and someone would fall off after that. I think we're going to see less of that now that they have they can move right into another structured environment, another place where they can just go to practice and just keep up that system. That I mean, you can't argue that wrestling folk style prepared them to go win world medals, but that structure, that having a team in place, that having you know a day to day routine that's big for training in any sport. So I think that's key. And more people we have continuing to do that, I think you're exactly right. That's a good thing. Some of those- made a big, He made a big point of that, how the structure, like, you know, I asked him specifically, um, you know, about how his game had changed, his top game specifically. And he said, well, you know, when every day Kevin Jackson is in your ear saying, no matter what takedown you get, you're immediately going to two gut wrenches or two leg laces. And then also, you know, teaching him some of the finer points of those of those techniques and holds. Um, but just the habit of every single time, you know, like on top in, you know, folks tell, hey, you go right to an arm bar or chop arm or something, you know, something, a spiral, something tight. Uh, that he, his habits have changed. And he talked, he said it off here. He's like, you know, when I was wrestling DT, Taylor, he goes, he could have literally ate a sandwich on bottom when I took him down. And he's like, now the guy on bottom is stressed because even if I don't turn them, they have to be stressed. They have to be ready for me. And he said, and that really makes a big difference. And he, he attributed all that to structure and the coaching and really coaching is just a bigger, is a part of the bigger overall thing of structure. Absolutely. And we saw a little, a little bit of that from Jaden at final X. So obviously whatever he's doing is working well. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly what I said to him. That's how that conversation came up when he laced him up in that match, for sure. That was that was a big impetus of that conversation, for sure. A few of our senior-level guys and women were overseas this week to wrestle in the Grand Prix of Spain. Uh, we had Tyler Graff beat Corey Clark in the finals of men's freestyle, 61 kilos. Uh, Xavier Johnson and Jamel Johnson both had medals in Greco, as well as Trent Osnes. And then in the women's freestyle... We had gold medals from Sarah Hildebrandt, Kayla Miracle, and Tamira Mensa, as well as numerous other medals. Adeline Gray with a silver, Mallory Velty with a silver, two Miracle, um, Allie Reagan with a bronze, Jakara Winchester with a bronze. Just a really strong performance overall, Cody Fowl with a bronze. So good results overall. Um, it's always interesting when our guys – when our wrestlers go overseas and wrestle each other in the finals, which we had happen a couple of times, David, what do you make of someone like Tyler Graff and Corey Clark going overseas and both reaching the finals? I think with the men, it's a little harder to tell because the depth of that tournament, it's really, 
unless you're really following like the top 30 guys in the world. And it's so difficult to even tell if those rankings are accurate because guys are moving up and down and there's so many less competitions. It's not like the, the rankings that we do for the NCAs that, you know, we've both done ourselves and even called each other about it. It's the number of times these guys compete is so much less. It's very difficult. You're almost going off, you know, results like two years ago sometimes. But I did have a chance, and hopefully we're going to get this posted, you know, today or tomorrow, uh, to do about a, an eight or ten minute interview with Terry Steiner and at the OTC, and they were about a week out from this Spain tournament, and he had he told me about it on air and off air, and how deep that tournament was for the women, and how that was an important tournament, that it was an important tournament to do well in, that they wanted to that they wanted to perform well there. It was one of the things that they were peaking. And uh, one of the things that was cool was when they were training and they were sparring, they pulled some of the hammers out of that 2024, uh, the Olympic developmental camp, and they were sparring with like the Mensas and the Miracles and most people of, of the world there. And it was cool to just watch. And it wasn't boys and girls. It was just wrestlers wrestling. And it was, you know, one of those guys was Vinny Zerbin, who's from here in St. Louis, and he was wrestling with Mensa. And, you know, I know that was a cool experience for him just to get to train somebody with somebody. It's a different feel. It's a different look. It's a different style. But also somebody, when they go perform overseas, you know, not like he would think he had, like, credit for that, but it's like, you know, you become a, more of a fan after having actually sparred with that person. Absolutely. And I know they've been doing that more at the OTC, trying to get the younger guys and girls involved and just – kind of integrating the levels so that they feel that way. And I think kind of building it more into a program, whereas a lot of times before, I think it felt like a whole bunch of different camps that were all thrown together to be a team USA. So I, I like to hear that. Um, Clark did beat one guy on the way to the finals that had been Joseph Molnar of Hungary. He's a, you know, he's a veteran. He's been to a bunch of world championships, but you're right. When you look down the entries on the women's side, it's just so much deeper. I mean, you, you see Adeline Gray lost, losing to Erica Wiebe from Canada, who's tremendous. Um, Elena Perezkova came back and wrestled, and she lost to Danielle LePage from Canada in the first round. You know, it's that kind of stuff that you look through. You know, Ali Reagan lost to Tenbakova from Kyrgyzstan. All those wrestlers are tremendous, so you're right. They're just such a deeper tournament on the women's side. Um, it, it's, I think that you see that more often just from covering international, you see the women just seem to show up more often to the same tournaments. Um, whereas like you said, the men sometimes can go years without, if they don't make the world team, they can go years without really a, a big tournament, um, which is strange. Uh, do you think that might have something to do with the fact that the men's freestyle and Greco has so much more development, so much more history. Uh, they just, they're more set in their ways. They don't change up the schedule as much. I think so. I think it's a great point. I never thought of it that way, but I also think that as obviously women's wrestling is the newest of the three sports, you know, freestyle Greco and then women's, which is freestyle that in order to make that push, probably UWW said, look, we're only going to have so many events. You guys need to be here. And I mean, whether that was an official conversation with the countries or not, I'm sure that was definitely an unofficial conversation. And and it would be good. I mean, it's interesting. You, know, you guys, you and I have been involved in wrestling in a long time, and it's different levels, right? Like when you're a fan, 
like we want to see Alex and David Russell for the number one and two seeds, but it may not be in your team's or my team's best interest. It might make sense to sit one of us or bump one of us up for the tournament or the dual meet. And the coach is going to do what's best for their athlete. They don't care about storylines and they don't care about those other things. Uh, So you kind of got to find scenarios. The, The men have more flexibility, like you're saying, you know, like, well, we don't wrestle here. We'll just see him at the Worlds. You know, we'll see him at four other times along the way. And a lot of these guys are training with each other internationally. Like Chimizo comes over here all the time and trains in the States. But I think it's a good point. I, you know, you could see in Steiner's demeanor when we were talking about it, how important this tournament was for them as a prep tournament to get matches in, to get video, to get all these things in preparation for the world, you know, where the U.S., a lot of those hammers were at training camp, their final X, you know, they're they're those things. And, you know, it'd be great if Tyler Graff and Corey Clark jump levels. It's just kind of hard to necessarily tell that. Like, I was literally standing six feet away from Corey Clark wrestling Johnny DeJulius on the backside in the U.S. Open in Vegas, and, like, four people were watching. It's like, it's so crazy, which is another conversation, how – people will come out to root for the laundry. But if you take those people out of those uniforms, like the vast majority of the casual fans go away and don't focus on just the wrestling. Yeah. And you made a good point there. Bring up an interesting point that I'd also heard about Fargo. You know, the the backside matches are always largely ignored, even though there can be some tremendous matches. Uh, Somebody's making that point about Fargo today and, uh, U.S. Open is even worse. NCAA's, you know, some people don't even show up for the Saturday morning session, and all those guys are all Americans. So that's a, a, another rant for another time. But Fargo is going on right now, and we had junior finals today, junior freestyle for the men. Uh, the women's junior freestyle is going on right now. We've already seen cadets finish up their freestyle. What was your big takeaway from the junior finals today? Well, I was trying to remember a couple of the storylines you had talked about, and I remember Nelson Brands. I remembered Artelona, but you had three or four of them. But Artelona lost early, correct, and then um, didn't come back through, right? Yeah, he. I didn't see what he did on the backside. I saw that he got beat, uh, which obviously his big storyline was supposed to be that he would win another one. He won several years in a row, but – didn't get that done, which is unfortunate for him, obviously. Um, you know, it's – I think that was really the most interesting thing about his run is that he had done it so many times in a row in such a tough weight. 145, you know, it's kind of in the middle. There's always studs, um, you know, up all over the place in those brackets. It's not a not a bracket where you're going to have to win one or two big matches. You're going to have to win a bunch. And, yeah, he went down to – Daniel Manabog from Texas, seven to five, and then he lost the next round to Connor Ward in what looks to be, yeah, it looks to be like a walkover. So it looks like he forfeited out at that point. Uh, might be an injury. Right. I would, I would suspect an injury for that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so I think you hit on most of them. Nelson Brands finished third, losing only to Bronigal from Illinois, uh, who was the eventual champion there. Cassiope won again. His match against Paris, I think we should hit on. Did you see that one? Yeah, I did. It was there. Yeah, that was super impressive, right? Like, 
like not close. And <laughs> I don't know what you thought, but I didn't think it was going to be that one-sided for sure. Well, I, I do think that people will look – some people will look at that match and say, well, a lot of those points are freestyle points, and obviously we know Cassiope is much more well-versed in freestyle than Parrish, and maybe in a, you know, maybe in a folk-style match it'll be closer. And, and that might be true. It might be closer in a freestyle match. But I think, I think Cassiope kind of lulls people to sleep a little bit. You know, he doesn't look that athletic, and I, I want to stress that he doesn't look that athletic. He's obviously very athletic from the things that he does on the mat. But, you know, he's kind of that – old school heavyweight. He's a little bit stocky, you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna be an Adam Kuhn type where he's a towering 285 pounds. Like he's just, but he keeps great position. He knows how to hand fight and he's very explosive when he wants to be like when he picked Paris up on that shot. Um, and obviously very good at freestyle and really used it to his advantage. It was a surprise. He beat him so easily, but I think Cassiope is just going to be one of those guys that in this era of all these young heavyweights that are tough, I think he's going to, you know, they, they have that concept of losing fantasy matchups on the message boards. I think he's going to lose a lot of those, but he's going to win a lot on the mat, which is the only thing that really matters. So I was very impressed by him. Um, who else? That was a super impressive match. Um, I got to give a shout out to the Bronicles because they're right from across the river here. Danny winning it and Zach taking third. Those kids if you know them and their dad, they just work really hard. They're not the most athletic guys, but they train super hard. They keep their mouths shut. They just put their nose down and get to work. And so I'm real happy for that. I mean, it's, it's biased because I know them, but you know, I want to give those guys a shout out. I also was honestly pretty surprised about the result at 170 with uh Karchla tech and plot like that at, in a minute 11, because plot had a really good U S open um at the under 23 or the under 20s uh you know with some big wins there in vegas so you it kind of felt like well he wrestled really well there he'll probably win juniors and and then didn't yeah karchler was definitely somebody i wanted to hit on because i mean he beat travis whitlake in the semifinal seven to four is the only points he gave up all tournament and what he did to plot in the finals was remarkable um i don't know if people around the country know karchler as well as some others you know, he hasn't, uh, up till this year, he hadn't won a state title mainly because he was having trouble staying healthy and getting in the lineup at Olentangy Liberty there in Ohio. This year, he goes from trying to make 138 to wrestling at 170 <laughs> and winning the state. Are you, wait, wait, back up. He tried to make 138 for the state tournament? His last two years. This year, he wrestled 170. The two years before that, he wrestled 138. And then he wrestled at 138 again, trying to make it because their team is so loaded and he didn't make it for the sectional tournament. Um, so he hadn't really gotten to do the Ohio postseason until this year when he moved up 32 pounds and was just fine. So obviously <laughs> a title at 170, obviously eating a little bit has helped the young man. So uh, I've been hearing about him for a long time and, you know, he was an all American last year. So it's like, okay, he's solid. You know, he's another good wrestler, but man, this performance, I mean, beating Whitlake and then teching plot, just that's, I mean, that's, that's wrestler of the week, you know, just breakout performance type stuff in a week full of amazing performances. So, and he's a senior. Is he a senior to be? Is that right? Be, yes, he will be a senior. So, well, that guy just made him and his family a lot of money. <laughs> that is, 
No. I mean, we t- we would tell guys all the time the most important tournament you can probably win, and maybe it's changed a little bit now with what goes on at uh, Akron, but I would still argue the tournament to make the most money on in your life is Fargo your junior year. And, you know, to beat the kids like you mentioned, Whitlake and Platt with those credentials, and the Whitlake match wasn't close. He was up 7-0 and just kind of coasted. You know, I mean, Whitlake – I don't even think Will like ever got to his legs. He scored off of off defense. So yeah, that kid's super impressive. I mean, a couple that Brayton Lee wrestled. I mean, he shut everybody out till the finals, and then had a barn burner with Lloyd. That was that was a really good match too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that one, I think, you know, I watched the Decatur Jackson Henson semifinal match. I don't know if you got a chance to watch that one, but was 17 to 16, I believe. And uh, Sammy's son is, is going to be good. I don't know where he's going to go because, you know, I think Sam, he had committed to West Virginia. I don't know if he's recommitted anywhere, if he's still going to go there or what. But um, talk about a clash of styles. We all know how Decatur wrestles really well in space and can get to legs and sick reattacks and duck unders. And then Henson started taking that left-hand collar tie or post and turned it into a two-on-one and got on top and laced him up. I mean, it was a great match. You know, there's injury stoppages and everything else. That match was about 11 minutes in the semifinals. Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of match it seems to be a, a Fargo staple. You get a few of those every year, and it's just – they're so much fun to watch, especially when it's a clash of styles like that. And that's that's one of the reasons I really love this tournament. I mean, I know uh, Patrick McKee won 10 matches on the backside. He, he that does was the next guy when you talk about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he seems to do that every year. And I know there was another guy that who sleep has slipped in my mind right now that did it too. It's, I mean, that's, that's amazing stuff. There's so many great matches. I mean, you can't even watch them all. There's no way to consume all of them. They'll have to filter out at, you know, over the next month or two, but it's, it's so much fun to watch these, all these kids should be commended. I mean, guys like Whitlake, I mean, I'm sure he's not happy with how he finished. He's a senior, and he went and competed anyway. Like, he didn't have anything to prove. He went anyway. That's a good thing for me. And Cassiope is the same way. You know, he's he could have just gone up to Iowa and started training. He shows up to compete. Right. I like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's great for us as fans. I mean, there were some big upsets along the way. Jay Navis losing. Um, and, you know, and then there's a, a couple of really good kids that obviously didn't wrestle in this because – they were on the cadet world team and stuff like that. But McKee's a really cool kid. He was at the Olympic training center. He's just a really nice kid. He's not arrogant at all. And I think he lost in the round of 64. And then, like you said, just came back through and went Hulk smash on the backside of the bracket and won, you know, like nine matches in a row. And honestly, you know, as a guy that recruited junior college, a lot of times I'd rather get the guy that took third than took second. Cause you know, those guys will wrestle hard on the backside the guy that took second, it kind of scares you if he would lose, you know, he goes up to the next level and doesn't, you know, runs into some guys that are tougher. He may not, you know, never know how those guys are going to do, but I think McKee showed a ton of heart and, and he's not the only one, obviously, but he, I think he's just one of the more memorable ones because of his credentials coming into the tournament. Right. And you make a good point there. I mean, this is, you know, I, when I wrestled at this tournament, I got, letters from college coaches that I didn't want to match. So I can only imagine how much attention these guys are getting for 
you know, showing how much metal they have and proving that they're willing to keep battling even when the ultimate goal is out of reach. I mean, we know at the NCAA, so many teams have won over the years by coming through the back and scoring points on the back. That's, it's so key. And it's just, you know, it's a microcosm of the bigger picture. What are you going to do when it gets tough? What are you going to do when it's not perfect? And kid like that just proved he's going to keep fighting. And that's, I mean, love to see that as a coach. That's, it's great stuff. Um, You know, it's really interesting. I was talking to somebody about that literally last night, just about life, how like, you know, they were saying that it's hard to watch matches when one kid clearly outclasses the other one and that the better kid should just pin the other kid right away. And I told him, I go, look, anybody who's ever wrestled will tell you they learned way more from the matches they lost. They learned way more about wrestling. They learned way more about themselves. And they learned way more lessons that, that helped them become better men or women and better fathers and better brothers and sisters and better coaches and things like that. And that sometimes the more embarrassed you get, the more valuable or more stated the lesson is. And so, yeah, I mean, these kids that have super high expectations on them, it's tough. It's tough to lose. I mean, you know, I have probably as much respect for Patrick McKee for losing and literally having to just get it together and go, I'm not, I'm just going to figure out what my bout number is for about a day and a half. And I'm not going to think about anything else because you know, when you lose that early, it is a mile and a half, you know, going left in the bracket for that far. So, you know, I, that's a, that is a real character, uh, not developer, but a revealer. And, you know, kids that do that, like you're saying, the guys that grind their way through it, they're really to be commended for that. Absolutely. And I mean, throwing it back to what we talked about earlier with the pen thing and getting the gift, you know, those are the kids, you know, he didn't, that guy didn't win a ton of stuff. He's not a household name because he's a wrestler, but he learned those mm-hmm. lessons and he learned them through losses. I'm sure he did. Cause we all did. So. Amen. Amen. That's exactly the point. Yeah. Those guys, the, the most of the biggest benefactors were pretty average wrestlers. I mean, you know, when I say averages, I mean, maybe they're state champions, maybe in all Americans, but not just your hammers. Right. So I think we saw, I think the number I saw was 5,100 kids plus um, entered Fargo this year. Was that, I think 5,114 was the number we put down on our notes. So that's, a lot of kids i mean it's a lot of it's you know obviously it's multiple tournaments you know when you're talking about you know freestyle greco juniors cadets boys and girls but that's still a lot of wrestling to get through in seven and a half days for sure absolutely and i mean the i saw the junior freestyle numbers which is i i typically look at that more than anything just because that's the tournament that has the longest history it's the tournament that's been in Fargo the longest and it's so that's kind of the easiest way to look over over time and see the ebbs and flows of the entries and it was the largest number in a long time and one of the largest ever since it's been in Fargo it's it's a great sign I mean we've seen this resurgence you know I've seen it attributed to so many things you know the cadet world championships coming back and you know, the success of Team USA and freestyle. I absolutely believe that, but it's also still a testament to Fargo because, you know, these kids could go to the trials in, you know, April or June, depending on 
what year it is and which level you're at. And then they could hang it up for the summer. Or like you said, you know, last week, go to camps. They could, you know, do whatever they're going to do. But they're in Fargo, battling it out, grinding it out. You know, this is this is a long week. If you wrestle freestyle in Greco, you're there for a long time. You're making weight. You're <laughs> battling. All these kids, I mean, you've been up there interviewing some of these kids when they come off the mat for the last time. You know, their face, you know, tore up. They, they yeah. look like they've been through it because they have. And, you know, that's, it's a testament that so many people want to go back up there. Most definitely. Um, it's, I think, you know, like we all have those tournaments or events or meets or practices or whatever, where you make that jump mentally from when you think you can to, you know, you can. And I think as much as we talk about like a Patrick McKee, you know, coming back, there's a lot of other kids that kind of, you know, they didn't come out of nowhere in their minds, but in a lot of other people's minds, they did. And I think those kids, that story is just as impressive because it's, it's an intimidating tournament. If you don't know what you're doing, you know, like the first, it's like any tournament, you go to something the first time, it's hard to get it done. So, you know, for those guys to be able to, you know, to get it done and guys, you know, men and women, and for people that don't know, we're recording this about five o'clock on Tuesday night, it'll come out on Wednesday morning. So we don't have any of the fee- the girls' results now. We'll talk about those next week, just so anybody doesn't think we're sliding them. But in order to give those, the, you know, those tournaments their full coverage, you know, the, we're just covering the ones that are complete. But I, I think that's what we all love about wrestling, right? It's just what what a meat grinder. There's no easy out in the sport, and you don't get good without taking some beatings. And I think that's why wrestlers respect other wrestlers no matter how bad they were almost more than anybody in the world that didn't wrestle i mean i'd be curious how you think about that that's just how i look at it no i agree i mean anybody that's been you know been through it in wrestling and tried to be good i mean whether you got there or not is largely secondary because there's a lot of factors that play into that but you know somebody that showed up to practice and worked hard and those kids going to Fargo like this, they've taken that next step. You know, they've, they could go, nobody's going to blame you if you wrap up your, you know, folk style season, do some off season, you know, conditioning work and agility work. Or if you go off to play another sport, that's fine. Like that's, especially for junior high kids and even high school kids, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. These kids though have decided to take that, next step they want to be better so they're going to go out you know so much work gets you know comes before you ever get to fargo to qualify to keep training to keep to stay in shape to go through the state camps to travel up there once you get to fargo like that's months of preparation for a lot of these guys you know some of them have been to junior cadet duels and just so much work goes into it everybody that goes to fargo wants to be good so that i mean i'm in complete agreement with you you've got to give them respect for that and you know yeah you can probably find one kid out there that just goes and doesn't really work hard and you fine you can take the one off but by and large these guys have been through it they've battled and they've proven something to the rest of the world and anybody that's been through that knows how hard that is to step out there so they have my respect and you know we'll sit here and break down the results but at the end of the day, they're, what they've learned is far more important than the wins and losses. Well, I think the other thing that you see, and 
I, I coach some MMA guys and I literally tell these guys to stop posting this on social media. Like these people that say, well, I weighed in, the hard part is over. Like that's not true. That's <laughs> not even close to true. Like the worst guys in the world make weight, you know? So these guys made weight, did the grind, you know, I remember, you know, I used to do vertical pairing, not brackets. And, you know, my dad would just tell me like, you're red or you're blue. And that was it. That was, you know, that was really, I think almost better. Like, you don't, if you don't know who you're going to wrestle, you can't psych yourself up out a lot of times. And then, you know, I think you can get out of your own head, which is a young kid, you know, that's a very positive thing in a lot of cases. So. Yeah, these kids are are not only winning matches, but they're helping themselves with self-confidence by overcoming these things. So I think that's a really cool part of all this. So we have another note in here. Do you want to talk about the Rudis launch? I think it's going to come out next week. So I think I'm very interested. I just know they shut the site down, but I'd be really interested to see we'll get into that and see how that goes and sales. And I'll, I'll talk to probably Marcus Hain, who's a buddy of mine who is the rudest rep here in St. Louis, but um, you know, they're making big moves and it's going to be interesting to see. I know they, there was a big hole of blue last year for them setting up the tent and, you know, being creative with their marketing. And so I have friends on both sides of that and I'll be interested to see how it went this year. And, um, but I, I think that's going to be, an interesting conversation. I think next week for the people listening, we'll probably cover Fargo, the second part of it. We'll probably talk a little bit about that. I think we're going to dig into this new transfer rules, guys, that, you know, is, 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 a, is going to be a game changer for wrestling. And we're probably going to talk about, you know, Alex and I will probably take one, each one side of it and talk about from the, the university or institution point of view, the pros and cons and the pros and cons for the, for the student athlete. But it's, it's going to be, probably one of the more quiet weeks of the year, the next couple weeks. And then we start getting into the world championships and then we start getting into the fall. And then we start trying to figure out who's going to be at what weight so we can start putting rankings together again. Oh joy. That will be here before we know it. The rankings, I'm not looking forward to it, but the NCAA season, I always look forward to it. It's going to be really interesting this year with the senior level world championships not till October we're going to kind of have this slow burn from Fargo all the way through that. And then right as soon as that's over, we'll be, we'll have college wrestling. So that's going to be. That's right. We're going to go from the world championships to like the South Dakota state, the Dactronics open the first weekend of the year. Very yeah. likely. Very likely. <laughs> all right, David. All right. Got anything else for us this week? No, sir. Great job captaining the ship. Well done. <laughs> well, you gave me the reins and I didn't run us off the road. Just <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been Episode 89 of Matt Chat with Alex Dean and David Maricatani.